power in stories. Amen. There's power in stories. This whole month, we're just going to hear amazing stories. We're going to be inspired and encouraged by amazing stories. Amen. The Bible says we overcome by the word of our testimony. If God can do it for you, I know he can do it for me. Amen. So right now, I want you guys to welcome a great young man of God who personally inspires me. He's just awesome. Uh, he's a producer. He's a musician. He's a worshiper. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a great man of God. You guys love him. His name is Adriel. Come on, Adriel. Come up. Come on. Let's appreciate him. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on. Let's appreciate this awesome. Woohoo! Now, Edra, you look so good today. I want people to know you're married. So, Detaria, I want you to come up and just, just give this brother a hug so people can actually, let's meet his wife as well. Let's meet his wife. We believe in marriages here. Awesome. Come on. You can do better than that. This is an amazing praying woman of God, and we celebrate her. Amen. All right, buddy, you can sit. You can sit. So... I'm going to interview Adriel. How many people here like me just are blessed by how this brother plays? But, yeah. but he more than just plays the drums. He's a worshiper. You can feel his heart of worship. And I want you guys to know, as a pastor, this man of God is such a worshiper. He, in this church, he's one of my greatest encouragements. Uh, planning a church is hard work, amen, and, and there's some days where you're, you're working hard, and don't get me wrong, we're having a lot of fun here. This is a special kind of church plant, amen, and so, but there are weeks and days when this brother here will send me a text that would just literally kick the depression out of my house. Any sadness, any, and he's a worshiper, he's, he's upbeat, he is motivated, he is Man, so, wow, I want you guys to know, it's not just playing drums. So he, this brother is a worshiper all around. So, Adriel, yeah, yeah. So, I want to ask you a question, brother. And before I do that, just greet the people. Greet the people. Hi. Uh, I talk a lot in person, but up here is a lot different. So... I'll just say, just bear with me as he asks me things that I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on. So, amen. <laughs> awesome. So, Adria, we shot a video before. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. One time you said to me that there was something unique about you growing up. Let's hear that. Um, I didn't have... Any, my story is not like the catastrophic one, like the, oh, you grew up in church and then you strayed away, like the prodigal son story, if you will. Um, that is not my story. My story is more like I did everything I was supposed to do, like socially speaking. Like I was not a kid that did anything bad or like had any run-ins, like always in trouble. I was a good kid. Like So on the surface, if you saw me, you would never think that I was dealing really with anything and that I, you know, I come from a two-parent home. I'm blessed. I have both my parents, you know, so you kind of make assumptions that, oh, everything's cool. He looks cool, you know. He's, he's not busted up, you know. He's, he's not on drugs, you know. He's not a statistic, uh, 
black guy, you know, you know, it's okay. You guys can, you know, you know, laugh. It's okay. You know, it's cool. You know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I I struggled with a lot of things because I felt like I was different in the beginning. Like I was the only person. This may sound like, oh, that's not that big a deal, but when you're going through it, it's a whole other ball game. Like when you're the only person, when you're the only kid growing up that actually knows what he wants to do the whole time he's growing up. Because that's, it doesn't seem like a big deal because, like, of course, when you're not a kid anymore, but you got to look at that, like, when you're growing up and everybody's doing what they're doing, whether it's playing basketball, playing a sport, or you get involved with a lot of different things as a kid and you figure out what your strengths are, you figure out what your weaknesses are, and you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. So while everyone else is like, oh, I'm playing basketball, and then next year you're playing football, and then next year you're doing science, and then next year, and this is like, I've always wanted to do exactly what I'm doing right now. Wow. So to be a person that's like, well, I really like this. That's tough because it's just like all the other things that all the kids are doing, like being great at sports. And it's just like, that is not my calling. Like, I like basketball. I like football. I'm just not amazing at it. And I had to come to grips with that pretty early on, which is, it sounds like a not difficult thing. But when everybody else around you is doing something different, it's like, yeah, well, you, Adriel becomes boring because I am so wrapped up in music and, it, and it, it amazes me. I'm like shedding Earth, Wind & Fire records at like seven. And it's like, no one else enjoys this at this level. <laughs> and I have no one to share it with. So that's like, you feel super alienated, like growing, growing up and you just try to, I didn't really fit in a lot, wow. like at all. Even though you would think that maybe I would. Wow, I wanna dwell there for a little bit. So what you're saying is because of your vision and passion, because you knew exactly what you're supposed to do to be doing, you felt like you just didn't fit in. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it was hard because it's like, there were times where I was like, well maybe I should just do, you, you want, everybody wants to feel community. Everybody wants to feel attached to something. And because I felt so strongly about this particular thing, even though I was growing up in church and there were people who were involved with music and stuff like that, it was very one dimensional. Mm -hmm. And this is all obviously like hindsight 2020. Like I kind of felt like this growing up, but I didn't have like a made up mind about everything. It was just kind of all happening and I was just processing it. But now looking back, it's just like, it was very uncomfortable because everybody wants to be accepted. Yeah. And, and when you're deciding, I'm gonna do this like for the rest of my life and I have to make constant steps towards that and you have everyone else involved in something totally different, it, it makes it difficult to do that. It's definitely not easy. You guys can can testify to this. It's not easy when you're young, seven, eight, ten, to actually be doing something and it's just you doing it. Because, man, even as adults, right, one of the greatest sins that I've seen in the house of God is that we compare each other so much. Uh, we want, man, you check out Facebook and Twitter and people are doing this and that and you want to do what everybody else is, is doing. And so that had to be difficult at that age to see other people doing other stuff and then looking like the boring kid, the kid that people don't, how did that feel? How did that feel being alienated? Because I know there may be people in this room right now that also feel that way. You feel like you're by yourself. You're alone in whatever God has called you to do. Uh, you're standing by yourself. How did that feel? I'm was it always easy? No. Like, um, when I was going to the fourth grade, I had to transfer schools. So from first to third grade, I was in the same elementary school. And then in fourth grade, 
my mother transferred me to another school because me and my sister at the time were riding on the same bus. And you know, she was a mom, so she's like, I don't want to split up my babies. So I had to go to this school, but I knew no one there. Like, so I had dealt with being alienated, but it was reasonable. Like, I had gotten a grip between first grade and third grade. It's like, all right, cool. I'm different, but I've managed to make some friends. We're good. Fourth grade is like, oh, wow. Like, I'm right back to square one. I don't know anyone here. And it's just like, I'll never forget. This is, like, probably one of the most monumental stories in my life, like, that I remember, even though it's going to sound funny. <laughs> so in fourth grade... I'm on the basketball court. You know how it goes, we're out at recess, shooting the ball or whatever, whether it's a game of 50 or 21 or three on three, whatever. I never got picked, all right? <laughs> that sounds like, oh, it's not that big a deal, but when you're dealing with what I was dealing with, it was a huge deal. So I finally managed to get my way into the game. I'm playing the game. Um, I'm playing one-on-one -on -one with this guy. Everybody's watching. It's pretty bad. I don't win, right? Game is over, and this guy comes and he's with his buddies, and he's got the ego, and he's got all of that, and he spits in my face. And I'm like, hmm, you know, I had to process that for a while, and then it resulted in me punching him. But that was like the only physical altercation that I ever had as a child, like ever. Like, and it was just more so because of shock, like I don't know what to do right now, and hitting seemed like the most reasonable thing at the time. <laughs> so like, but I went through the entire fourth grade year feeling like by myself. And when you're a fourth grader, that's a heavy weight to deal with. Like, especially when you, because then I'm starting to realize, like, well, I have a family, you know. Mom and dad are here. You know, I had a, a sister. We're very close in age. My sister, like, we have a very good relationship, so that probably kept most of my sanity growing up. Because I didn't, although I had a good-looking home from the outside, my parents dealt with a lot of stuff. Like, they argued a lot. Like, you know, it was never like crazy, like on the news type level stuff. But like, it's like enough that when you're growing up and you're young like that, it's just like, so I was the guy that learned how to do better by watching my parents not do that. Yeah. And when you have to learn backwards, it's like, it's actually, I've used, I've learned to use it as a strength. Cause I learned a lot of things backwards, even drums. Like, I mean, I did go to Berkeley, but that, wasn't, Berkeley was not the reason why I play like the way that I play. Like, it was just like, oh, now I have names for all this stuff that I've been doing up until this point, and I understand it a little better now. But being by yourself in a calling is not something that comes at a small price. Wow. Good stuff. I want to transition a little bit here. So, brother, you are one of the people I look up to worship-wise, not just in your playing. What I love about Adria is that he's really good on his drums, right? And uh, he has a natural gift. He went to Berkeley for it. He, he went and got formally trained on top of all that. Uh, but then loves God and worships. Brother, what, what inspires you to stay motivated? Because we can all learn from you. You're such a worshiper. You're such a, man, I'm telling you, I hardly hear you complain. Now, in many ways, I'm the same, but, I, but it still amazes me because, because I know you go through, through days where it's just like, because I go through some days too, you know, where, where you want to, yeah, you want to punch somebody in the face in <laughs> Jesus' name. And, right? Come on. Just me? <laughs> amen. Oh, wow. It's a good amen over there. <laughs> but, brother, we're living in a day where people are just beat down and, 
you know, there's a neg negative report. So how many people believe that as Christians we need to be motivated? And People have to see that there's a difference. This Jesus thing actually works, right? What's your motivation? What keeps you? And, and can I tell you the other thing? Uh, I show up here early morning and no joke, this brother here is the first one in that parking lot. It's, it's like dead land and his gray SUV is out there. He's the first one here, this brother. And then just worships. and You just got married. Because, listen, because I know my wife and I, in our first year of marriage, we were having World War Thirteen every week. First year of marriage is not easy, right? How, how do you do it, brother? What's, what motivates you? What motivates you? Well, I'll address the Mary thing really fast because it was the last thing you said. Yeah. I'm, like, super fortunate to have actually married the, like, the per like, the person that you dream about your whole life. Like, I married that person. Oh. So, ah. but it came, it did come at a cost. Like, there were things that I prayed about very intentionally. It's like, I want to go through a bunch of hell in the beginning to know for certain whether or not this is going to hold up. Because I'm not going to sign up for anything that, like, I'm doing this one time. That's it. <laughs> so it's like, we've gone through enough even before getting married. And it's just like, I need to see that we can have a disagreement, we can argue, we can do things, and we can always come back. I need to know that first. And that was proven before we even got married. So, yeah, we've, you know, since we've been married, sure. But it's like, I mean... This, you're married now. It's like this is this, this is what it is. So, I have a pretty. I have to say, in the grand scheme of things, when I look at all of everyone else, sometimes it's like I, I've, I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. Wow. I'm very blessed. Secondly, that's good. That's good. Come on. <laughs> Secondly, as far as currently, in terms of like you said, what motivates me to just I guess be encouraged. Currently, it's this church. Like. My story with coming here was like, you know, I was at another church before, and my friend Tim, good-looking Timmy over there, um, kind of was like, hey, you know, Zenzo's starting a church. And I didn't know this guy from like a can of paint. I know Zenzo because it's like I hear his name in the Boston area, and so I knew of him, but I didn't know him directly. And then honestly, it was just kind of like more of a mind-blowing God thing. It's one of those things like where something happens in your life, it's like, you know what? That was totally God. I didn't see it coming, didn't know what was going to happen, and he told me to do something, and I totally trusted him, and it, it worked out. So, like, most of my life decisions have been like that. The church that I was at before this, it was like, God was like, go, just do it. And I'm like, and honestly, it's like, well, I didn't have anything better to do. So it's like, you know, if I waste my time, like, at least I will have listened to God, but that doesn't really even make sense because God's not going to waste your time. So I went and I did it. And that, all of that stuff was preparation for here. And now here is happening. It's like, all right, God, you got some, all right, this makes sense. Like, if you actually, like, do what God asked you to do for long enough, you'll realize it just makes sense and that everything you were doing before didn't make any sense. And so the encouragement that I get is from, he's talking about me, but I feel the same way about him. To see a pastor that gets up and serves and just does all that he does. Like, there's a lot of stuff you guys don't know that he does that I get to see it. And it's like, wow. I don't have anything com to complain about being attached to a community. I have an appreciation for being attached to a community because I've never had the experience to be able to feel oh, the real, like, the real one. Like, where it's like, there's love here. Like, when you walk in and you know. It's not like a, 
you know, I don't know. I'm kind of, it's like, wow, I felt love today. I, you know, you can call it whatever you want, but I felt something today. It's like, that's here, and it's a rare thing, actually. And that keeps me encouraged. It keeps me fueled. It gets me from Sunday to Sunday. You know, I'm excited to come here. Like, and if you invest yourself into a community that you believe God has sent you to, the God will, God will take care of that. God knows that you need to be motivated in order to work. So, man. Wow, let's put our hands together. Awesome. That's incredible. Amen. Wow, love you, man. Woo! Come on, let's appreciate this brother one more time. Many times I can't wait to finish preaching just so we can get back, so this brother can get back to the drums over there, so we can worship. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. Was that a blessing to you? Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I want to read a scripture for you. Can we turn our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 4, verse 39? John chapter 4, verse 39. John 4, 39. I'm going to read. Many of the Samaritans from, the, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I'm going to stop right there. I'll read that again. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony. Believed in him. Who are they talking about? Come on, one more time. Who are they talking about? Jesus. It says many of the people from this particular town believed in Jesus because of this woman's story. Turn to your neighbor and tell them your story has power to draw people to Jesus. Your story has power to impact people. Your story has power to impact people. This is a story of a woman in the book of John chapter 4. I want you to read the rest of the scripture after. But this is a story of a woman who was a prostitute. And she went to the well to draw some water. And Jesus is sitting at that well. And Jesus says to her, hey, I want you to give me some water. Draw some water for me. And back in those days, the Jews and the Samaritans did not really get along. They were not really culturally connected. And so she says to him, I'm a Samaritan. I'm not supposed to even have a conversation with you. And then Jesus said, if you knew who is talking to you, you would ask me for water. Because the kind of water I have, when you drink, you will never thirst again. And then Jesus begins to minister to this woman. And Jesus says, where's your husband? And she says, ah. He says, I know. Because... Because the husband you're with right now is not even yours. You're hooking up with somebody else's husband. And this is your sixth husband. You've had, four, you've had five divorces. In other words, I know you're a mess. I know your story. I want you to know that Jesus knows your story. I want you to leave this place today to know that Jesus knows every detail, every part of your story. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell them, Jesus knows your story. Listen, he knows not just the good stuff only. He knows that dirty stuff, the crazy stuff too. He says, listen, I know you. I know you've had five husbands. I know that the dude you're with right now, you just came to get some water because you need to go back to that dude, but he's not even yours. I know all about it. And so she's like, okay, okay, I get this. You're a prophet. You're a prophet. Long story short, he ministers to her. And then this woman 
goes back to the same street corners where she was prostituting. And this time around, she has a different message. And she's talking about Jesus. God uses her story to impact the very place where she was doing crazy stuff. I want you to know this, that God is not nervous. He's not, he's not intimidated by the negative things in your story. Because he's going to use that stuff. He's going to use your entire story. Everything you've, go, you've gone through, God is going to use that to impact other people's life. Can I read another scripture for you? Luke chapter 12, verse 7. This is amazing. It says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than the many sparrows. The very hairs of your head are numbered. God has numbered your hair. That's how much he knows you. That's how much he knows your story. God has counted my hair even if I'm bald. He knows the tiny little hairs that are there. He's counted all of it. That's, that's how much this God knows your story. But he's not intimidated. Is that amazing? He's not intimidated. Listen, there are people in this room who have things that they've done, that they've made a promise to themselves, I'm going to go to the grave with this and no, nobody will ever know about this. But Jesus knows about it. And God knows about it. Yet he chooses you every single day. He chooses you every single day and he loves you. Here's what I want to say. This woman was prostituting in this city called Samaria. And so she knew every street corner. She knew the little parts and the little parts, and she was hanging out in these little alleyways, right? Hooking up and band. And God knew it. He knew I'm gonna send you back to the same places <laughs> to preach the gospel. So though she was doing this crazy stuff, she's knowing the place, she's knowing the area, and God is just setting her up. And I want you to know the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. That all things work for the good for those that are called according to his purpose. And I want you to know, everything that you've gone through in your life, God is going to use it to bless other people and to bless you and to impact many people's lives. Joyce Meyer was molested by her own father. Today, she's one of the greatest people in the world that is rescuing girls that are in sex trafficking. Girls that are being molested by people. God is using her to rescue hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of women. And so God is using this negative situation to change other people's lives today. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. There's a guy called James Robinson. James Robinson was born because his mother was raped in the park. And so his mother was raped in the park and then she realized she was pregnant. She was angry. She was angry at this baby. She was angry at the baby that reminded her of this enemy, of this intruder. But then God said, keep this baby. She wanted to abort the baby. She kept the baby. And then God gave her love for this baby. And today this guy, his name is James Robinson. And today James Robinson feeds orphans. He's, he's one of the leading people in the world that feeds orphanages around the world. Hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people. A baby who was born out of a rape situation. Can somebody celebrate Jesus who can do anything great even in the midst of negative, t negative things? <laughs> Hallelujah. He will turn it around. Come on. He will turn it around. There's another guy I love. He's actually, I call him my spiritual grandfather. His name is Archbishop Joseph Garlington. 
He went through a nasty divorce back in the days. Now, back in those days when you were a pastor, when you were a minister, when you went through a divorce, the church would throw you out. Today, he's one of the guys with a leading ministry that brings marriages together. If you're in trouble with, with your wife, if you're in trouble with your husband, people know this is where you go. You go to Joel Garlington's church and ministry because there they have a heavy anointing for healing marriages because he went through a divorce himself back in the days. God can use your story. I want to end by saying this. The negative things that have happened, the limitations that have happened in your life, many times they are signals and they are signs to the call of God in your life. What I'm saying is God will turn your mess into your message. In the area of your greatest mess is going to be the area where your greatest message is going to come out of. In the area of your greatest test is going to be the area where your greatest testimony is going to come out of. Pay attention to the things that are happening in your life. That's what happened to that woman. In the same place where she was messing up is where her ministry started. And she told the people. And because she told the story of what had happened, the Bible says many lives were saved in that city because of that woman's story. I want you to not be ashamed of your story. God's going to use your story. I want to play this video for you and I want to show you how God would turn your limitations into greatness. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. school and this is the straightest line I can draw. This was doomsday. This is the destruction of my dream of becoming an artist. Today, this is the straightest line I can draw. So nothing's changed, right? Except that everything has changed. The shake developed out of a single-minded pursuit of pointillism, just years of making tiny dots. I'd hold the pen tighter and the dots used to look like dots and then they eventually looked like tadpoles. And so I would continue to hold the pen tighter and my hand would still shake and I'd hold the pen tighter still, and this eventually caused so much pain and joint issues, I had trouble holding anything. I left art school, and then I left art completely. A few years later, I just couldn't stay away from art. I got back into it, and I went to a neurologist this time to have the shake checked out, and I was quickly diagnosed with permanent nerve damage. And he took one look at my squiggly line and said, well, why don't you just embrace the shake? So I did. I went home and grabbed a pencil and just started letting my hands shake and shake. And I started making all these scribble pictures. And it felt great, even if it wasn't the art I was passionate about. But once I embraced the shake, I realized I could still make art. I just had to find a different approach to making the art that I wanted. So I began experimenting with different methods where the shake wouldn't affect the work. And I discovered if I worked on a larger scale with different materials, my hand wouldn't really hurt. I went from having a single approach to art to an approach to creativity that has just completely changed my artistic horizons. This was the first time that I realized embracing a limitation can actually drive creativity. And I wondered, could you become more creative then by looking for limitations? What if instead of painting on a canvas, I could only paint on my chest? Or what if instead of painting with a brush, I could only paint with karate chops? Or, what if instead of making art to display on a wall, I had to destroy it? This destruction idea turned into a year-long project I called Goodbye Art, where each and every piece of art was destroyed after its creation. By limiting my theme to destruction, I let go of the tangible outcome 
and saw new possibilities where art didn't have to be tangible or serious or permanent. In the beginning, I focused on forced destruction, like this image of Jimi Hendrix made with over 7,000 matches. It burned in one minute. <laughs> and then I opened it up to new things where art was destroyed by itself. I looked for temporary materials like Oreo filling, spitting out food, <laughs> cheese whiz, or frozen wine. The last iteration of destruction was to produce something that never actually existed in the first place. So I laid candles out on a table, and I lit them, and I blew them out, and I repeated this process over and over with the same set of candles. Then I took the videos and assembled them into the larger image. Wow. So the end image never actually existed as a physical whole. It was destroyed before it ever existed. The destruction riff opened up a whole new phase of creativity for me. Now when I run into a barrier or I find myself creatively stumped, I move from frustration to anticipation really quickly because I know something amazing might come of it. We live in pretty unpredictable times and our ability to create is the most powerful tool we have to attain security. Limitations may be the most unlikely of places to harness creativity, but perhaps one of the best ways to get ourselves out of ruts, rethink categories and challenge accepted norms. And instead of telling each other to seize the day, maybe we need to remind ourselves every day to seize the limitation. Thank you. Well, let's put our hands together. When you're baking a cake, right, you get the egg, you break it. It looks very gross. If you ate that, it just would be terrible, right? And then you get, you get the baking powder, and if you, if you were to just put that in your mouth, it would be pretty gross, right? You get all the ingredients. They are so gross by themselves, they are not edible by themselves. But you mix them together, and then you bake a wonderful cake, and it tastes so good. I want you to know that th there's some neg negative things that have happened in your life that are, that are just painful. They're gross when you look at them by themselves. It's like, it's, like, it's like that gross egg. But I want you to know that when God puts it all together and mixes it up, he's baking a wonderful cake for the world to consume. Every negative thing he's, you've experienced in your life, God's going to turn it around. So he's saying, Zenzo, yes, when you're growing up, yeah, you, you felt like just like Edrael. You felt like you're by yourself. You felt like you were that kid who was just so different because you knew exactly what you wanted to do. Yes, when you came to America, you became homeless one time and, and this happened and God was putting all these pieces, all these ingredients together. And today, here I am pastoring a church. When somebody comes into this church and tells me they're homeless, I can relate to that because I know what it feels like. To park your car at a Walmart, at a Walmart in Drum Hill Law, and stay there all day and have a dream. When somebody tells me, hey, hey, I'm going through this pain in my mind, I, I can relate. I remember days when I would storm out of my house and drive away because Michelle and I were about to kill each other. I can relate to that. But today, God has made it beautiful. And I want to encourage somebody here today. You've gone through a situation. You've gone through something. You've gone, you've gone through a challenging situation. I want you to know that in the area of your greatest mess, your message is going to come out of. And in the area of your greatest test, 
your testimony is going to come out of. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah in this place. Stand up if you can. Stand up if you can. Oh, hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jen, where are you? Come up. Next Sunday, we're going to hear Jen's story. When you see Jen leading worship, come on, let's appreciate her. When you see Jen leading worship here, man, you would never know how far God has brought her, amen, to be where she is today. So we're going to hear her story next Sunday, and it's going to encourage us. Have you been blessed today? Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just begin to thank God for our lives. I want you to thank him for that pain. I want you to thank him for that challenge, for everything that you've gone through, because that is the very thing, is the very area that God is going to use for you to impact people. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Easter is coming up, and during Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. There's something I want you guys to do. I want you to go to two or three people and tell them your story and tell them how Jesus saved you. And then invite them to church. Tell them on Easter Sunday, we're going to go to this school. Uh, it's a school. They have flags everywhere. But we're going to go there and we're going to worship Jesus. And I want you to come with me. And on that day, we're going to share some more stories of hope. There's a young man that God has saved in this very place. He was in drugs. He was in all kinds of situations. And he hadn't been to church since he was 13. All kinds of things happened in his life. But he walked through the doors of this church. And somebody in the parking lot said to him, welcome home. And he gave his life to Jesus and he was changed. This church is about impacting people. There are times when I preach messages where it's about just making your life better. But there are many times when I preach messages that impact you and train you and coach you to go make a difference and go touch somebody else. And your lives are made better when you're making a difference in other people's lives. Amen. Come on, somebody in this place. I want us to pray. I want us to pray and just ask God. I want you to ask God to help you share your story and to lead you to people that need to hear your story, to lead you to people that need to be in church, need to give their lives to Jesus. Don't be ashamed of your past. Don't be ashamed of that situation. Don't be ashamed of that thing you went through because God's going to use that to save somebody else. Amen. Right here, while every eye is closed, if you came in this room today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to prepare your heart to give your life to Jesus. In the next few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus today. And there are people in this room today that are going to transform their lives by saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's worship together.
singing holy. Let's cry out. to Jesus. I'm going to count one, two, three. I'm counting to motivate you to make him the best decision that you can ever make. Doesn't matter what kind of limitation of experience. I want you to know Jesus can turn your life around and in the area of your greatest mess. 